from Ballin' and Company. So good. Super yummy. Shout out to the barista. Um, welcome back, everyone. The Black and Brown Get Down. What's up, Joe? What's happening, Mary? How are you? I am alive. That Delta variant hit your girl. And uh, <laughs> thank God for vaccines because, um, you know, I'm popping. Ugly. Right. It could have got real ugly. It could have been given a, a hospital stay set. But instead, um, you know, I was in quarantine uptown. Um, and yeah, I'm super grateful. The vaccine did what it needed to do. Um, Sit you down and make you rest. Right. The guy was saying, uh-uh, fam, we're going to sit it down. Uh, so I sat it down and, you know, I did some steams. I did... I rested a lot, um, but yeah, I'm back, biatches. <laughs> um, well, welcome back. Thank you. Well, let's get started. All right, cool. So today on Putting You On, we're going to talk about Black August. Happy Black August, everyone. Yes. Uh, Black August, uh, for those of you who do not know, is an annual commemoration of a what started prison-based holiday into what is now a... I want to say what? Like a, a, a commemoration of like the time excuse me, a time where black folks collect uh, to discuss grief, rage, and rebellion. We don't necessarily pause to reflect on black history, but we gear up and educate folks to move forward in uh, black revolutionism. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, once I really became politicized, and at that point I say I started growing up, um, I... Everyone around me and what I was taught, I think it's big in California. I think it's still growing in other areas. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But it, uh, what I was taught was you commemorate everything, not just that happened in uh, tons of th things happened in black in August that we now say black August, um, like the Haitian revolution, these, um, you know, uh, the George Jackson, the death of George Jackson, but also the all of the organizing that happened in prisons, all the rebellions, um, uh, and great things also like James Baldwin's birthday, and um, and but you commemorate it by making sure that you uh, create a discipline around building the revolution, which is really building the revolutionary. So this time is about study. This time is about learning about not just the rebellions, but learning about our people, learning about, um, you know, revolutionaries and the practice of revolution, because uh, we're not just out here willy nilly, you know, blowing shit up. It's like, you know, these things are very... Um, you know, strategic. We learn about organizing. Uh, mm -hmm. We, you know, build our body. Right. And so a lot Absolutely. of people uh, do a fast for Black August. A lot of people do very specific type of exercising during Black August. Um, mm -hmm. And then I think, but you that know, we also encourage folks like in regards to revolutionary political action to 
um, pretty much, well, not pretty much, but to gather resources that are available to us and challenge the things that are against us so that we can move towards progress. Yeah. And uh, there is this um, very specific quote that uh, I'll read from George Jackson that I think sums it up for me. It's almost like a a Ramadan. It's uh, like a Lent um, in the sense that like this time is about us coming together and us being in deeper reverence for our history, our uh, people and the to do the things that need to be done in order for liberation to happen so mm-hmm. settle your quarrels come together and understand the reality of our situation understand that fascism is already here and that people are already dying who could be saved um, that generations more will live poor butchered have lives if you fail to act do what you must do discover your humanity and love in revolution George Jackson. So, uh, yeah, read more about it. If you don't know, uh, tons of, um, movements like the abolition movement that we all are currently experiencing and learning about are based off of black August. And so it's a really important time. And, um, you know, I'm just excited for, uh, what this month will bring to me. Usually it's the month right before September, which is my birthday month. Mm -hmm. So it's like a time of reflection and, uh, just kind of, uh, deep, uh, work for me. Right. And I think it's also important that we highlight the fact that I think you mentioned it earlier, but um, Black August. So when we think about August, um, just about Black liberation and the revolutions that have followed. So you think about Nat Turner in 1831, which we alluded to um, the beginning of the Underground Railroad in 1850, the March on Washington in 1863 and Charlottesville of 2017, all of these important movements transpire within August. So, yeah. Get it. So, uh, yeah. And today on Black Love Brown Pride, we have Dr. Uh, Ingrid Alvarado. Um, she said PhD, not EDD. No, I'm playing. That was a little shade. Uh, but our guest today is Dr. Ingrid Alvarado. Ingrid was born and raised in San Ignacio, Belize, and has spent the last 15 years helping nonprofits and community organizations fundraise to achieve their vision. In 2013, she started her own company an organization now called Accelerates. Uh, it's an all black and brown woman led organization specializing in uh, fundraising, but not just in fundraising, but board development, strategic consulting and uh, for educational nonprofits that support specifically black and brown communities. In addition to that, she also uh, sits on many boards and uh, formally was lending her skills and her uh, experience and expertise come on expertise to uh, Belize her country uh, where she was um, serving as the former deputy secretary general for the Belizean National Commission for UNESCO and special advisor 
to the Ministry of Education. Please welcome my homegirl, Ingrid Alvarado. What? what? Uh, I know. Welcome, Ingrid. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Listen, okay, first of all, we just, um, I may talk about that a little later, but I just came off of a little Delta variant, and <laughs> my first night out was with you, and um, we had a good time. We had a really good time. Uh, <laughs> I just the day remember after, right. the night before. <laughs> right. I just remember hitting a little twirl, and the twirl didn't twirl quite <laughs> so nicely. Um, but I felt cute. Hey, <laughs> uh, we are going to jump right in. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here. Thank, Thank you, for, you for having me. I'm so so excited. This is my first podcast ever. Well, get into <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm here for it. Love it. So. One of the main questions that we ask everyone that comes on to the podcast is, what's your earliest memory of community that you draw from and whose spirit do you bring to the work that you do? Yeah. So um, my first memory of community is uh, making tamales in my home country of Belize. Uh, you know, uh, it's something that that is passed on from generation to generation. And it's all of these women coming together um, cousins and tias and um, my mom and we all uh, tamales are cooked on the open fire and it's a whole day event because we're making tamales for multiple families um, and it's just a time to really chat and share and pass down tradition and um, it's the first time my first memory of, of ever feeling like I'm a part of something so much bigger and so much greater than myself and then whose spirit do you bring to the work that you do yeah, I, I I would like to say that I'm bringing the spirit of my uh, the Mayan ancestors that came before me. Um, no one in particular. Um, I like to think that I. Dang, you bring in a whole tribe. <laughs> Everybody, <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> okay, all the people, <laughs> right? All of them. <laughs> I love that. Um, so uh, okay, so you talked about being Mayan. Uh, so your mother, and you're from Belize. You grew mm -hmm. up in Belize. You were born there. Yes. Your mom is Guatemalan. Yes. Your dad's Salvadorian. Yes. Um, why did your family migrate to Belize? Like, I'm first of all, I love migration stories and like yeah. just how these things happen. Uh, do you know? Yeah. So my uh, biological father and his family were escaping civil unrest and war in El Salvador. And this is among, during the 70s, 80s. Yeah, late 70s, very early 80s. Um, and then my mom, her dad had an agriculture job in Belize, so he migrated to Guatemala. I mean, to Belize from Guatemala. And uh, just like every other family, I guess they were looking for better opportunities um, for their children. Um, but both of my parents were illegal immigrants for at least 16 years in Belize mm. before they gained uh, citizenship in that country. Oh, got it. So they on the illegal immigrant stuff too. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. we don't say illegal on this podcast. We say okay. undocumented, <laughs> but, uh, that was the terms that they were using is what you're saying. Right. Right. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. Wait. And so how did they pick Belize? Um, I think Belize picked my grandfather because mm. they offered him a job there. And, uh, with my father's family, um, I think Belize is just honestly, you know, it hasn't had a lot of war or a lot of civil mm -hmm. unrest. It's a pretty um, chill stable. country and stable country for the most part, certainly in Central America in those times. 
Yeah. Um, so you and your family are Mayan. Yes. And how hard is it to remember, um, you know, as someone who's also Mayan, uh, how hard is it to remember uh, just the traditions and the customs and uh, in another land that's actually not your land? So the Guatemalan yeah. side is the Mayan side, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, but how do you do that, especially in... Belize and now in the United States, given uh, capitalism and like just kind of the white supremacy that runs that makes us want to whiten. Yep. Yep. Um, I think in Belize, it's especially hard because, you know, there's a um, there's a big Afro-Caribbean culture there. And so if somebody was to ask me, how do I how do I identify? I would say Afro-Caribbean because that's where I was raised and that's the music that I listen to. And that's the culture that I know. Culturally, yeah, yeah culturally, I feel very Afro-Caribbean. And so, um, you know, in America, I think it's just such a different ball game. Um, it wasn't until recently that I started asking my mom, my aunts, my grandfather, my only living grandparent, um, more about my Mayan heritage because mm. I was taught so little um, about that heritage. And I keep getting answers like, um, you know, like, don't worry about that. You shouldn't. You, we made so many sacrifices and you want to go back there. You are the answer to um, all of our prayers you are the product of these sacrifices mm. that we've made. Don't and, worry about being mine. Yeah. Make that money. Yeah. But it, <laughs> I, I feel like in so many ways, you know, I ask myself at what price? Mm. At the price of losing identity, at the price of, of losing myself and not yeah. really knowing where I come from and who I am um, because I was never taught, you know, a Mayan dialect. I was never taught any of these things that I, that I, wish, um, that I wish I knew. Yeah. So... I feel like it's even tougher being in America because it's just so easy to get into the rhythm of things like capitalism um, and things influencing you in a way that you don't even realize uh, that you're making these decisions because of the influences that America has. It's and hard the to whiteness. do it from yeah. uptown, huh? Very hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how does being an immigrant inform your work? So I work primarily with uh, black and brown leaders. And, uh, you know, I like I like to think that I'm giving voice um, to my people. Uh, I think that I have very limited breaths on this earth. And so I want to have each one of those breaths be meaningful um, in what I do. And that gives meaning to me to work with and for and to advance uh, black and brown leaders in my community. Sweet. You raise money for black and brown leaders uh, and you're really, really good at your job. (laughs) Thank Uh, you. And I mean, you just had a very successful capital campaign for Son of a Saint. You guys raised like nearly two million dollars. Over three. Oh, oh, my girl. I didn't know. I I saw the ticker. uh, Maybe a a few. I mean, okay, listen, excuse me. Um, It's given very much corrected. Um, I love it. Okay. Um, so, but you know, you're successful at this, but I'd love to hear about the times when, um, and tell people what it means to be a fundraiser. Cause a lot of people may not know. Uh, but I want to hear about a time where a foundation or people just didn't 
like rally around a leader or around a vision of an organization because it was too black. It was too Brown. This person was too black. They didn't show up in the sparkly, you know, uh, ways that other leaders show up, even if they are black or Brown. Right. Absolutely. So, um, I am a fundraiser. I've been fundraising for about 18 years and I do anything from capital campaigns that is to raise money for a building or any kind of structure. Um, I do uh, big federal grants, small local grants. Um, Listen, we trying to put y'all on. <laughs> Understand this. You want to look up my girl. We giving you the game. Yeah. And uh, I build individual giving programs. Anything having to do with fundraising, I'm your girl. But um, so it has not been uh, easy to work only for black and brown leaders in this space. There have been times when um, I've been talking with a, a pretty big funder locally, actually, who said, you know, we uh, we don't like the word equity. We think the word equity or the word black is divisive. Um, equity is never going to be one of our values. And we reject any applications that we get from people who use the word black because we think that they're trying to separate rather than unite us as a people. Mm. And wow. so the, the, and you know, the word equity, the girls, everybody loves the word equity right now. So uh, what does an application look like not putting the word equity in it? Yeah. Yeah. They're not here for it. <laughs> not here for it at all. Um, I also had a, another recent experience where there was a, um, there was this group that uh, auto, they needed a, um, a strategic plan done. And so they automatically just chose, you know, two white women in the game and gave them uh, a contract of over $30,000. Um, and I said, you know, maybe we should do an RFP. I can name five people of color here who can do this work as well as these two white women or even better. And I named these people and, uh, you know. Why, why are we just handing out contracts? Right, right. right. We're not doing that. And not in 2021. And Certainly I, not. Yeah. And we're not, I'm not asking for us to just be given contracts or be given mm, anything. Come on. I'm asking them to open the door so that we can compete. Mm. To give us access. That's all I'm asking for. Mm. We'll submit a proposal just as good, if not better. Right. Yeah. Mostly better. But. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So uh, I, I do think that there are times when I am I feel that I need to speak up so that uh, I can at least educate them. Um, but there are other times when I feel that I can't just I can't waste my breath because there's nothing that I'm going to say that's going to change their mind. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I'm representing a, a you know, a group of people and I, I don't want my opinions to um, put them in a light that maybe they will never get funding because of something I've said. So I have to mm -hmm. walk a fine line there. Yeah. What's, um, what do you see as sort of the biggest issue, uh, in funding right now? Mm. now and don't say equity now. No, no, no. Look, no, no, no. Yeah, no, I'm just saying. I, think, yeah. I mean, it is equity, but. Yeah. I think that, uh, funders, um, give many white leaders, um, the benefit of the doubt and, uh, don't require as much, um, but they ask black and brown leaders to present a history of success, um, all, a list of achievements, all of their financials, all of these reporting requirements that mm. aren't always required for white leaders. Yeah. And so um, that's a problem because this it's, it's just it's plain 
racism. Yeah. And it's so evident in the way that they choose to um, put black and brown leaders through the ringer. Yeah. And sometimes it's just for a little bit of money, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's for $1,000, but they want the moon. Right, it's, yeah. Which to me is insane. And I, I love that there are some national funders that are taking the lead on saying like, here is some unrestricted money. Mm-hmm. Do with it as you What does wish. it mean to have unrestricted money mm. versus restricted money? Yep, yep. So uh, many times you'll get a funder who say, I only want to give you money for X, Y, Z. And you have to stick um, to just doing those things that they require. But unrestricted means that you have a lot of freedom to respond to the community the way that the community is asking for your assistance or for your support. Yeah. Um, and the way that like, I think most um, leaders would see, would uh, feel that is you get money for your programs. Uh, like you can buy food, you can buy materials, you can buy equipment, but you can't pay for salaries. Right. Right. And so that's like the restricted funds that are around a program, but not necessarily around staffing. Right. And uh, you know, that's huge because most of your budget usually is the staff, the people mm-hmm. who have to do the work. Exactly. Exactly. And so the the more you get unrestricted funding, the more freedom you have to do, uh, you know, to, to hit your mission. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about um, just do you feel that as a brown indigenous woman uh, doing leading this company and, and leading this work? I think, you know, uh, you might be, if not the only person I know, you know, here, but certainly in nationally very few um or uh companies like yours uh does it uh impact uh the work the fact that you're a indigenous leader brown leader immigrant all of these things it and, really does yeah and i think in a good way mm. um so like honestly i reject like two to about six clients per week because a lot of people want to work with me because I'm a person of color and because uh, I only work with black and brown people, but I find that a lot of the people who want success. Yes. Yes. Thank you. You popping. (laughs) I mean, listen, but uh, I think a lot of the people who are coming to me are white and I keep saying, Mm. uh, I can recommend other people, but I, uh, you know, I, I don't, I work with black and brown leaders. Mm. Why is that important to you? Oh, like I said, I think, um, I think they're, I just have such limited time again on this earth that I don't want to use that time doing something that I don't feel passionate and in love with. And I do feel passionate about the people that I work with, um, the mission that we, that we strive for. And so that's really important to me just to feel useful, to feel like I'm making an impact. So you're also part of, the Belize National Commission for the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. Um, you're an, a special advisor to the Ministry of Education there. Can you tell us a little bit about that? But then also, what can New Orleans or the greater United States in general learn from Belize and vice versa? Yeah, so um, that was a position that I used to hold. And then in November, there was a new election. And so these are appointed positions that, are, gotcha. uh, yeah. And so... I'm no longer in that role, but I can still share that um, I think New Orleans can learn so much from Belize. I'll give you an example. We get hurricanes nonstop mm-hmm. all year. Um, well, six months out of the year. And we um, have a really good system of taking care of one another without 
um, anyone telling us to do so. So the bus system automatically becomes free and public to everyone to chart to, to get people from point A to point B, to get people to safety. Um, even the local airplanes, they're getting people out of the islands. All the boats are getting people out of the islands and inland. The churches mobilize, the schools mobilize, people open up their homes. Um, and so I think if I think America has a very individualistic approach to the way that they um, show love. Mm. Um, and I think that Belize just has such, just builds community. Um, we don't ask questions. We just, we're all Belizean. So we take care of one another when, when right. somebody's in need. And so when there's a hurricane, everybody in the West, which is where I'm from, we just open our doors. Um, whatever we have to eat, we eat it in community. Um, and I think that's something that I haven't seen here um, really in terms of it being across the country. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a New Orleans thing, I think. Yeah. Uh, like, we definitely take care of each other. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know that it's uh, throughout the whole country. Yeah. yeah. And I think another thing is we do a really good job of environmental conservation. Like, the whole country is 85% rainforest. We mm. have animal sanctuaries across the country. Um, we have all these laws that protect the rainforest and the Mesoamerican corridor. Um, yes, but a Mesoamerican. <laughs> so I think there's a lot more we can do in America to um, to protect um, our environment. And then what um, you asked about what Belize can learn from New Orleans. I think New Orleans does such a beautiful job of preserving culture and tradition. Um, and that's something that... Um, that Belize can learn from uh, because there's still, even though we have all of these amazing Mayan temples and, um, you know, we know so much about this civilization, I think there's still some shame attached to being indigenous. Mm -hmm. And so um, I wish that it was more open discussions about indigeneity and that, you know, we could develop this pride of self and, and pride for our history. Yeah. What is the, uh, in Belize, what does it sound like and look like when folks are, um, to your point, not prideful about the indigeneity? Oh, um, you know, we, <laughs> we were colonized by, um, Great Britain. Mm -hmm. And so, um, we try to speak just English and not Spanish and not Mayan Indian and oh, not any. Yeah. So we, I think we're raised to believe that the British way is the best way, um, that the English way is the way to go. And so you try to cling to that um, colonial heritage. Mm. Come rather, on, talk to us. <laughs> rather than, rather than, um, you know, the, the indigenous side of us and, and the, Really, my like my my indigenous people were raped by these folks. Mm. They're not saviors, mm. right? Um, so yeah, yeah. And then you hear stuff like uh, "es es indio" or yes. That um, if if you do something um, that uh, you know, like make a mistake, and they're like, not "Oh, proper." Yeah, not proper. They'll be like, "Oh, that's the Indian side of you coming out." Mm -hmm, like, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One of the first things that I remember uh, when we first met, uh, you were like, um, yeah, my face structure, yes, it's giving Mayan. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I have a hook nose. I have high <laughs> cheekbones, a very flat face. 
I have like the bone structure of my head is nice. It's giving, I'm feeling my skull. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, I love that. I love, uh, yes, for the archaeology. (laughs) (laughs) No, really, if you look at them. I have no idea. Um, (laughs) If you look at pictures of Mayan skulls, they look exactly like me. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I was trying to tell you, yeah, mine is uh, a Mayan skull, too. You were like, no. (laughs) No. the shade (laughs) the shade um now you are one of the most carefree joyous people that i know uh like there's just such a light and uh there's nothing heavy about you like it's very uh you know just good vibes uh how do you cultivate laughter and joy in your life like give us give us a little list you know (laughs) hit me with a little three to five I think the biggest thing is surround yourself by good people mm. um, and put that same light and that same love out there that you want to receive in the world. And so you create this um, this circle of joy around you when you also are putting that out in the environment. It's like what you put out, you put out, you get back in. And so that's the secret. I love that. Okay, but <laughs> then you got to get more, a little more specific though. What are things that bring you joy? So, okay, good people, that's good one. Good people, uh, learning, learning all the things about anything. Yeah. Like, learn how to make beer, uh, learn how to build a table. I, I feel like the more you learn about other people, other cultures, food, anything. Um, There's a mural in your backyard. You're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I paint, too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So yep. literally learning all the things, learning all the things, doing all the things, learning all the things. I think that, you know, you're going to have a lot of time to uh, rest and sleep and be still when you're dead. So live it up. Mm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. okay so learning. Thing I've heard all day. Right. <laughs> Look, I still want the other one because I know what the other one is. Uh, my sis loves some red wine. Oh, I love red wine. Yeah, it, it brings me so much joy. Yeah, um, and she's very particular with it. Yes, you know what? Life is too short to drink bad wine. Oh, so drink some, some for all the girls shit. drinking that uh, Rossi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember we used to carry them big old uh, jugs of Rossi. <laughs> Yeah, you remember the Rossi? Um, Yeah. yeah. Okay, so. (laughs) That's um, before we got money. Right. (laughs) Uh, It was given plum wine. (laughs) No, not plum wine, but it was just given, you know. (laughs) Bad wine. Yeah, just, you know. Yeah. Uh, And tons of sugar. Oh, awful. Yeah. Uh, You know, at any bar, if you. Most bars, I think. If you go to the bar and you say, hey, uh, you know, I'm looking for this. I'm looking for something drier, big bodied, bold, uh, you know, something that has a lot of flavor. Um, they will have you try different things until you find that one thing that just hits the spot. Um, and I think, you know, that's what you should be looking for in life. Those mm. things that hit the spot for you. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Joe, what hits the spot for you? Um. What in in regards to alcohol? No, just in life. Oh, God. oh just we ain't talking the about the bottle. Learning, no, 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 just learning. Yeah, I love, I love opportunities to learn. Like, um, I was telling you last week, well, or whenever that was, um, <laughs> that I came back from Costa Rica, and there I had learned to make chocolate and coffee, and I was like, oh, 
wow, this is so dope. And then we learned about different herbs that were available. So yeah, just I'm I'm like you, Ingrid. Like any opportunity to learn is just amazing. See, now everybody won't be like Ingrid. No, I'm playing. Let's <laughs> <laughs> learn together. Um, I love that. Okay, well, thank you so much, Ingrid. I just love um everything. Is there anything else you want to share with us? Um, visit my website, okay. Um, for all your fundraising needs. Uh, thank you so, so much for having me. Um, I'm, I'm just really, really happy to be here and happy to have met you. Um, because my you girl. two give so much joy and so much light. I feel like when we met, you we were like, yes. Right. This it is was, a good it thing. was automatic. You came to a little <laughs> soiree I had in my backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where we invited, um, black and indigenous women from Latin America to come and brunch and, um, Build community. Yeah, yeah. Build community. It was really, really great. Um, so yeah, we gotta keep doing that. Keep building. Yes. yes. Thank you so much for having me and for um opening up your world to me. I'm really grateful. Let's do it. Turn up. <laughs> um, and are you on uh social media by chance? I am. I will Okay, drop that hat. I will. Okay. You gotta do it right now. Oh no, I don't even know it. It's my yeah. oh. <laughs> I don't run my All social right. media. <laughs> I, I respect it. Right. I respect it. Hey. The girls don't run their own social media. I'm trying, to get, I'm trying to get to that level. The nerve. Um, we will link that um, when the episode drops. Uh, well, thank you so much, Ingrid. And uh, we are going to move on to the juice. What, what? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, this juice is a little different um, because, uh, unfortunately, we got to highlight some bullshit to talk about how it was really the strong reaction. And, you know, sometimes in organizing, you know, and in movement building, we don't love to be reactionary. We always want to be strategic and, you know, and be pushing the ball forward. But uh, sometimes it's also how we react to things that um, sets a precedent. And, um, you know, organizers, activists, I think, uh, media and uh, promoters definitely came through and uh, should be highlighted for pulling out and divesting from uh, the baby who had some very um, hateful, uh, violent, homophobic comments um, during, uh, what was that? Was it Rolling Loud? Uh, yeah, during Rolling Loud. And, um, so definitely want to highlight them, but also want to talk about, we gotta do better. It's 2021. Like, bruh. Okay, so if those of you, I'm sure everyone caught it, but we're not playing it, but definitely, you know, um, there were some very homophobic comments uh, made. The uh, baby talking about if you don't have HIV and AIDS, uh, put your cell phone light up. If you don't have, um, <clears throat> oh, if you're not in the parking lot, uh, sucking a D, um, you know, put your put your cell phone lights up. And then came back and doubled down, talking about his fans are classier than doing it in the parking lot. 
sir what <laughs> what are you talking about uh and uh yeah so sometimes you know to highlight uh the shine and and what people did in reaction to you gotta highlight the trash and uh the baby was given straight trash at uh rolling loud so uh i don't know that's that's what i'm what i'm thinking what are you thinking joe uh i'm thinking that the baby I don't know, just really got to get with the times and, and also utilize common sense. Um, you should never go on some sort of rant, some ignorant rant like that. Um, it's offensive. Uh, you heard a lot of people in the process and nothing that you were spitting was a real fact. So, man, yeah. talk about stigma, like stigmatizing what it means to um to have and how you get um <clears throat> hiv like bruh you are spewing hate but you're not even understanding the facts right and the fact that he came back and doubled down i mean just like and then you know you have the culture of hip-hop who uh just came up from behind and did what they did, which is continue the culture of homophobia, violence, and um, and harmed our community by saying like, uh, Ti came on talking about defending him and defending his comments. If you if if little Nas X get to say what little Nas X get to say, then the baby get to say what he get to say. What? No, bro, you could never be an elder in our community ever 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 and um you know and then mustard i think came on talking about uh what did he say oh well they don't talk don't about, about the murders mustard, oh okay okay go ahead the the murders and how we talk about women uh and the violence in our community what fam come on that's deflection gaslighting lies homophobia just trash. Well, I, think I don't anything, know. Like, I think this is an opportunity for us all to start coming together and start having these conversations amongst each other so that we can bridge gaps in regards to having more understanding uh, about, you know, fears or just literally just ignorance um, that may be overwhelming to a person who is not well versed in um <laughs> Wow, you can't even say well versus common sense because shit, you just just have common sense. But like, I, I, what I'm saying is, I, I think this is an opportunity for us all to come together and start communicating. Um, but then also standing up for each other. Um, so yeah, the baby, obviously, you got some work to do. And and listen, that mouth got that man in trouble. Yeah, for sure. And you wanted to double down, and then guess what? Uh then your pockets got in trouble. Then that's the only reason why you then came and gave an apology. And obviously, you know, you didn't write that, the baby. Come on yeah, now. Yeah, uh, sure. Your like, publicist wrote it. Right. Like when you're wrong, you just got to take the high road and take accountability for your actions. And then like anything, learn to learn to do better. Yeah. And I think there's this like thing where, um, black and brown men um don't want to or homophobic people in general don't want to say they're homophobic because it's like i'm not i'm not afraid of anybody i'm not afraid of gay people come on now 
that the fact that you don't want to be called a homophobic when you're a homophobe is homophobic in itself. Like, bruh, like just what is wrong with people? Yeah, it's a lot to unpack. I feel like we got to do better about learning more before we open our damn mouths to say shit that could be detrimental to someone else's well-being. Um, so yeah. I just hope that he moves forward and and but then also encourages other people to move forward to uh you know understand take a deeper dive into into seeing how your acts are having an effect on other people um and then hopefully that can be a, a catalyst towards change right and to everyone who is holding up for these homophobic hateful um <clears throat> comments that are filled with misinformation, stigmatization, like stigma um, of a specific um, virus, illness. <laughs> like, what the fuck is he talking about? Uh, anyway, it's just like bigotry is hate. It's uh, everything that harms our community. And, uh, you know, I think there is a an overall care that uh people just don't demonstrate and i think a lot of people are like oh well you know the gay community is too organized they got too much political power um and this is why um they're winning but you know when it comes to killing um each other black on black crime first of all that's all uh you know diversion to defend your homophobia but yeah so if you don't like it, organize around people having more um, responsibility to the work that they're putting out there as it relates to hip hop yeah. or as it relates to any genre of music, right. you know, right. um, it's I, I just think I'm so um, disappointed in um, the level of care. I'm so disappointed in the level of uh, understanding and like being human and forget being politicized. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's just, it's hurtful, you know? And it don't matter if the person isn't black or white. I mean, black or brown, because guess what? Black and brown people are also gay. Hello. Uh, and also trans. Hello. Um, everybody want to say that other community <laughs> fam you mean us <laughs> mm -hmm. um and so it just you know it's hurtful and you know i'm glad his pockets are being hurt somebody else i mean they pulled out like of at least hello festivals yeah yeah they, another one just got pulled today sponsorships um, um yeah i don't know i don't i forgot what was it Boohoo Man or something? As some as mm -hmm. somebody else. Yeah, that's um I don't even little know clothing line. Okay, got you. Yeah. Um it's given very much fast fashion. Uh <laughs> and <laughs> and so, you know, I'm just disappointed because I know that apology isn't real. You know, when he says, Hey, I wish someone would have taken me aside to give me guidance and wisdom. No, bro, you're spewing hate. Mm. You know? Mm -hmm. And so you don't want guidance and wisdom. Um, and we just have too much at stake, too much to lose. You know, I feel uh, really sad and sorry for 
apologists and people in, uh, I don't care if they are in that very same community who are holding up for this man, Toma. He, these aren't homophobic comments. What Harriet Tubman, Mama Harriet Tubman said, I would have freed more slaves had they known they were free. It's like the deep bondage of uh, heteronormative white uh, patriarchy uh, is just intense. That bondage is deep. And I'm trying to get free. So, um, shout out to all of the folks uh, who are organizing around this and, um, you know, making that um, pressure happen. Oh, look at Austin City Limits Music Festival pulling out. No more the baby. Mm. Oh, yep. Music Midtown announces the baby. I hope they run that man dry because guess what? He not even, I don't even, I don't know. I mean, he, uh, I think he had one song, a couple songs. I don't know, mm-hmm. child. I can't tell the t- difference between the baby and little baby. So, um, <laughs> and I'm sure there's a big difference. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. I think we can say that a lot about these artists today. Like, it seems like even if you're in a club, everything just sounds the same. So you don't know who, who is who, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, So, you know, take care of yourselves because uh, Rolling Loud was definitely giving hundreds, uh, I want to say hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of people. uh, And it was very much given Delta variant along with Lollapalooza. So uh, let's take care of each other and wear a mask, y'all. Wear a mask. (laughs) Wear a mask. Um, Okay. Sanitize. Uh, Well, and sanitize. And clean yourself. <laughs> See, bro, I wish baby would have came like, out to my wash your ass. I'd be like, yeah, you're right, bro. Uh, like, everybody, please wash your ass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so if somebody do go up in it, it's correct. <laughs> that would have made sense to me, bro. But, um, uh, but no, the shit he was saying did not make any sense to me. Anyway, um... <laughs> Now moving on to the rising ritual. Uh, and now to the rising ritual. As many of you know, I uh, am just coming off of uh, dealing with this Delta, uh, dealing with COVID, and uh, I did have the vaccine, so my symptoms were pretty chill. Um I mean, of course, I had a headache. I think the exhaustion was uh, was a lot. Um, and, you know, loss of um, smell and taste. Um, that was worse, actually. Like, at some point, I wasn't hungry. I didn't have any uh, sense of taste or smell. But at the point that I got hungry and then couldn't taste it, it was just like, okay, I have to eat this because I know you know, I have to eat to fight this. But, uh, I think there was one moment where I felt like, um, Oh, is my breathing being impacted? I was like, Oh no, 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 no. Uh, actually we are going to do a respiratory steam. And so I learned this respiratory steam from, uh, the hood healer. Uh, if you all are on IG or, um, What's the other one? Um, and it used to be a stripper site. Only fans. <laughs> <laughs> 
So anyways, the hood healer is on OnlyFans and on IG. So uh, go ahead and give uh, my sis your dollars because it works. Uh, she calls this the COVID killer. Um, and it's basically a steam where you put uh, sort of fresh citrus. And so that could be, I think I did like grapefruit, oranges, some uh, lemon and lime. Uh, I put in... Um, cinnamon eucalyptus um uh i said cinnamon sticks right clove um uh, peppermint oil uh and you can mix around whatever herbs you have in the house it's good get it in the pot put it in the pot with some water uh she also advises you to put menthol crystals and you can get that like at a botanical uh but you can get all this stuff now go get it so that when you need it you have it at your house you put it all in the steam right in the pot and then you just let it steam and you let it it both cleanses the air but it also then helps your respiratory system it helps your nervous system it builds your immune system and so uh these things are good because as soon as i started to feel like oh something's happening with my breathing or like i can't take a full deep breath i did that put it in the pot and let me tell you i feel great and it's something that you can do even if you don't have covid you always want to make sure the air in your house is clean and uh and it smells great because of the eucalyptus and you know the cinnamon so i mean just do it the covid killer it's a steam and you can do the steam you can also put different things in the steam uh, and just, you know, look up uh, based off of what you're feeling. If you want to have something that's more relaxing, you might want to put some lavender oil instead of peppermint oil or add it in addition to. Anyway, all these things are great. And I feel like it's, um, you know, the rising ritual is a time for us to figure out what do we need to do to make our spirits, our bodies, our minds uh to a place we can bring it to a place of wellness, a place of health. And, uh, this really works for me. Uh, anytime you don't feel great, I just do it or that you don't feel great. You should do it. Uh, and let us know what you think about it. That's it. Well, that's that on that. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much for, uh, sticking with us and engaging in, uh, these conversations. Yep. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just remember to like, Think, love, take accountability. And if you don't know something, seek professional help. Because otherwise, you're going to have yourself look out here looking like an ass. And we don't want that. Not not, yeah. not with front of black and brown. Get down. Right. <laughs> yeah. Professional help might just be like, just talk to somebody else. And, you know, if you need to get rebuked, like, let the people rebuke yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, sure. uh, And um, so, yeah, thank y'all. Uh, and, you know, find us on the gram and uh, download the subscribe, rate, all that stuff. Black and Brown Get Down. Share that, share that, uh, share that, share that. Peace. Yeah. All right, y'all. Peace and love. <laughs>